<clears throat> Good morning, everybody. I thought when Tanner prayed <clears throat> and mentioned the words of Jesus that where two or three are gathered together, <laughs> we're getting pretty close to that. Um, <clears throat> thanks each of you for being here. You are the real Christians. Um, the ones that, you know, you're just about, your ticket's about punched. Um, <clears throat> at any rate, glad to see each of you here. I'm also grateful, though, that we do have um, the technology that people, you know, the weaker Christians, can stay home and watch <clears throat> online. Um, I know a number of churches in town ended up canceling. If you knew the agony I go through trying to figure out whether we should have a church service or not, um, I always talk to two people, generally. There may be more, but at least I talk to the Lord and Scott Matheny. Okay? And, and, and <laughs> yeah. And um, Scott, Scott told me last night that we should have church. So, um, anyway. But... For our scripture today, I want us to look at Acts chapter 11. <clears throat> Acts chapter 11, give you just a little short bit of background here. <clears throat> In the 11th chapter, Peter has gone to the first Gentiles that the Lord um, led them to reach out to, and that was the household of Cornelius, down on the Mediterranean sea coast in the city of Caesarea, which was a, a Roman colony kind of city. And it was where um, the Roman governors often um, ruled from. They had a, a palace there and so forth. This is probably... We don't know for sure, but this is probably um, <clears throat> some number of years, I'm not certain, five, six, seven years after Pentecost and the persecution, the first martyr, um, Stephen, and <clears throat> the gradual spread of the gospel. So Peter went and preached to the household of Cornelius. They received the gospel, and Peter returns to Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem, the, the Jews, were very upset with him because he had gone to Gentiles. And, you know, they'd spent their entire history of 1,500 years that the Gentiles were the outsiders, the Jews were the chosen, and you didn't bother with the Gentiles. So... Um, the blindness is pretty interesting, but um, I mean, God accepted them. And then Paul or Peter is beat up by the officials in Jerusalem for going and preaching to them. He rehearsed to them how God fell upon them and clearly um, endorsed them. And it quieted down and the objections pretty much went away. Then the subject shifts a little bit in looking back. 
And that is in verse 19 of chapter 11. Verse 19, we find these words. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen. By now, this is probably, this is referring back very shortly after the founding of the church and the day of Pentecost. The persecution arose, scattered people. It says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. <clears throat> Many, it says, traveled as far as Phoenicia, that is the seacoast, and a bit north of the Mediterranean west coast, Cyprus, and Antioch. Antioch was, if you look at a map of the Mediterranean and Palestine, it's up just about at the curve. It would be in present-day Syria. But Antioch was a major city um, in the Roman governance and in that whole region. Some of them were men from Cyrus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad, and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. When Barnabas departed for Tarsus, then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, that's a city north up into lower what would today be Turkey. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, the main verse I want us to look at here is the 23rd and 24th verse. When Barnabas came, had seen the grace of God, he was glad, and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. That last phrase is what I want us to look at. There are some major assumptions here. They don't have to necessarily be specifically mentioned, but there are at least three assumptions in that verse that he exhorted them. Other, Other translations say he exhorted them that with all their hearts they would stay true to the Lord or that they would continue with the Lord or that they would press forward with the Lord. The thought here, of course, is advancing and deepening and strengthening and the assumptions then that I want us to look at here that apply today with some restrictions. First of all, the issue of authority and 
the Antioch Christians' acceptance of authority. Now let me explain what I mean by that. There's an assumption here that when word came from Antioch to Jerusalem, the Jerusalem apostles, those that were still there, which was, as far as we know, the eleven, were still based in Jerusalem. There's no sense of debate. There's no sense of, well, what in the world do we do? Immediately, asserting authority, they said, Barnabas, we're appointing you to go down to Antioch and check this out. It assumes that the church, in a central authority, had authority to send someone, to designate him, to authorize him to go. And his duty, which is assumed, but I believe accurately, make sure this is genuine. Make sure that they are true believers, that they have at least a clear and accurate, it may be limited, but a clear, accurate grasp of the gospel of the doctrines Jesus is God he is the only savior make sure this is authentic that is the duty it's the assignment of the ministry now I'll be careful here today and I'll give you a lot of qualifications because I'm not not here to say the ministers are infallible and you have to do everything I tell you to do. I'm not talking about that. But as believers in the Christian church, Christ is the head and he has called and authorized certain persons to lead that and to be messengers from him to us. Now let me qualify it a bit. The original authority here was apostolic authority. The twelve. There is no question, there shouldn't ever be a question, that the authority of the apostles is a higher authority than any authority that ministers today have. Okay? I think, now the word apostle simply means to be sent. Sent one. That's what it means. Well, technically, you know, we're all as Christians sent. We're sent into the world. We're sent across people's paths. We're sent to witness to the gospel. So, small a, I guess you could say we're apostles, but I wouldn't advise it. Okay? Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people on you see preachers at times on TV. We don't have a lot of Christian radio, or, or not radio, TV around. When I was pastoring back in Indiana, um, Indiana is just thick with, uh, you know, out of 50 channels, I bet you 49 of them are, are you know, the Billy Bob ministry. Um, I, never mind. I don't want to get too far off on all that. Anyway. But you see people there who are, um, you know, the, uh, and I, there was, I watched a guy who was so illiterate that he called himself 
an apostle. He, he was the apostle, you know, whoever. But he didn't know how to, he didn't know how to pronounce apostle. So it was, the, I'm the Apostle Billy, or whoever he was. I mean, this is nuts, okay? We don't have apostolic authority today. The apostles re received the Word of God and wrote the New Testament. That's the rule for what books got into the New Testament as the Holy Spirit supervised the arrangement of the New Testament. It was either an apostle or a very close co-worker protege of an apostle. That was what the Holy Spirit directed the New Testament formers to set as the rule. So what the word canon means. The New Testament canon. Those books penned either by an apostle, the twelve, including Paul, who would be an addition, or Luke, Mark, some of those who were very closely associated with one of the twelve, one of the apostles. Okay, That authority passed away with the apostolic age. When they, one by one, as far as we know, every single one of them were martyred except for John. When they died, that apostolic authority didn't stop, but it devolved into the New Testament. The early Christians, rightly, it says even in early in Acts 2, it said they continued in the teaching of the apostles in the fellowship of believers, in the breaking of bread, which was probably communion, and in prayers. The apostles' authority then is distilled today into the New Testament. So no one today in the ministry can claim apostolic authority. That's passed away. But not from men, but it's now in the New Testament. Now, there's limited authority that God in the church expects us to be under. It's not apostolic authority. It's not the authority to pronounce Scripture. But this limited authority really comes from maybe two or three things. One, and Barnabas exhibited, and the people accepted it. This authority it comes, one, from a call. God calls people to the ministry. And it's completely up to him. And there are a lot of people... Um, who are called by self-good intentions. I mean, they mean well. But, I'll get to this in a second, but they, they don't have it. I don't know what it means, but they don't have it. 
there is an authority in the ministry that comes from a clear call, and it's a moral issue, meaning I can't go to heaven if I do something other than preach, something other than minister. Now, it used to be that, here's a couple sources of calls today. Sometimes parents call their kids. Sometimes preachers in the church or in, uh, the youth leaders or whatever, we get our eyes on somebody and we think, you know, that guy, he, he, he may make a good minister. Well, maybe not. God's called an awful lot of people who men thought, well, that guy doesn't have it, but he does. Authority comes from a call. Second, it does come also from right character. There are people I, I have pastored alongside good people, good men, who I think meant well. But they didn't have a clear call. They had no authority then. I don't know what it is, but they didn't have it. Second, I've pastored alongside people who I think may have been called, but they lacked in the character department. What does it say about Barnabas? What really gave him his authority? Well, God had called him. The apostles had sent him out. But it says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Authority comes from character. I'm speaking within the ministry. Authority comes from right character. Power comes from office. But authority is what matters. There are people who can have a power, but they've got no authority. I, 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 I know that I'm on thin ice here, so I'm going to hurry up and get off this point. <clears throat> I've been in the church my whole life and preached for a lot of years. I don't want to keep telling you how many or you realize you know, how old I really am. I've heard more general superintendents who couldn't preach their way out of a wet paper bag. They had power. They could exercise it, in some cases, to hurt and to harm. But they didn't have authority. Authority doesn't need an office. Authority doesn't need an election or a title. I've seen... I have seen dear people who aren't even called to full-time ministry. I've seen good lay people in maybe a, a crisis in a church or a, a real turning point as far as direction we're going to take. And I've seen God use good, deeply rooted, solid Christian laymen to speak a few words that just turn the whole thing. Character is what matters, not uh, uh, titles and official office. The, th the kind of authority that we have today in the ministry is, Paul said to Timothy, reprove, rebuke, exhort, teach, instruct 
with patience and long-suffering. Okay? Jesus said to the disciples, He said, Do not lord it over the sheep like the Gentiles do. Well, what does that assume? It assumes authority. There's no reason for Jesus to warn the ministry, don't lord it over people if they have no authority. He intends us to have authority. But he warns, don't you misuse it to browbeat and crush under you. And, and here's what he always said, my sheep. The sheep are not the preacher's. They're Jesus' sheep. He pays really close attention to how we treat the sheep. And we'll answer for it. Now the scriptures also says to the sheep, Obey those that have the rule over you. Now that's my favorite verse. I tried to get the women in the office. I quote that to them frequently. I don't pay attention to it. I've tried to get them to call me Reverend Father President. They won't do that. Obey those that have the rule over you. And he's not talking about here the police and so... Because he says, obey those that have the rule over you. For they watch for your souls. That's spiritual. And then it goes on and says, do this so... Modern translations, do this so they the ministers, can do their work without groaning, without griping to God, Lord, what in the world did I ever do that you put me in this office? Don't cause them grief, he's saying. That they may, it goes on and says, that they may do their job without groaning, which he then goes ahead and says, which is not profitable for you. In other words, he's saying to the sheep, don't drive the preacher nuts. (laughs) Don't cause them groaning or it won't go well with you, the sheep. Now, that's the thin ice I'll get off of. I, I, I honestly am always a little squeamish about very rarely talking about authority that the ministry has but we have it and in this day and age especially in our country everyone's along of themselves i don't mean that the preacher you know i think we should have tan chairs or whatever that's what's called a god complex the lord told me that we're supposed to have such and such No, he didn't. You vote on stuff like that. But the the authority is spiritual. It's to guide, to lead, to encourage, to exhort, to correct, knowing that we answer to a master. We answer to the great shepherd of the sheep. The ministry then are under shepherds. Now, the second thing that this group in Antioch 
exhibited and the, the second except our assumption here. They were alert to adversaries. Here's another huge assumption that Barnabas makes and everyone understood. He's, he went down there and met them and recognized it was a genuine work of God. And then what did he do? He exhorted them that they would have, it says, purpose of heart to stay true to God or to keep with the Lord or to continue with the Lord. There is absolutely no reason to exhort people to stay with the Lord unless there are adversaries that are real who seek to take us away from the Lord. Unless there is constant pressure to deviate, to fall away, to cool off. All of the warnings in the scripture, beware lest you fall. Watch and pray, Jesus said, lest you enter into temptation. All of these exhortations and Barnabas and his exhortation assumes that we have adversaries, that we're in hostile territory, that there's a devil and all of his demons and a wicked world and all of its peer pressure, that there are tremendous efforts to defeat us and draw us away. That's assumed in the exhortation, stay true, stay true. This is the Christian warfare that we're in. A.W. Tozer, who we quote often, said, sadly, he was speaking primarily, he said, to the American church. Instead, he said, of recognizing that the Christian today is in a battleground. He said, we've turned it into a playground. All we worry about is tickling ears, telling people what they want to hear, making, making them go home with a, a, a phony kind of high. And the truth is, the, the path to heaven that the saints who've gone before us that they have trod is littered from warfare and footprints in blood. The great saints who gave us what we have today, not only in the scripture, but all those down through 2,000 years, have fought their way through finally to heaven. There's a couple old hymns that are wonderful. Must I be carried, Isaac Watts, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? No. There's an ancient hymn. We don't, I, don't, I bet nobody knows it here. 
My soul be on thy guard. Ten thousand foes arise. The hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies. It is amazing to me how trivial much of the church today has become. I have some ancient, ancient books. Some old hymnals. I've got an 1850 Methodist hymnal. Little tiny writing. And I look at song, books, hymnals, whatever, today. We've got, if you look at the topical index, Christian warfare, or tribulation, or fighting the good fight, or whatever. You know, there's half a one song on half a one page. That Methodist hymnal, it must be that thick of Christian warfare, affliction, tribulation, fighting the fight of faith. That's why we're here today. Because of people like that. But the next generation, what are we passing on to them? What are we passing on to them? A playground. That's enough negativity. But it's the truth. We have to be alert to adversaries. And what really are the avenues that our adversaries take advantage of? One, here are the avenues. A foe. We have a supernatural foe that we face. Satan. He's real. He's powerful. He is second only to God. The people who go around today, binding Satan. I bind you, Satan. That is just balderdash. Michael the archangel, Jude said, didn't even rebuke the devil, but said, the Lord rebuked you. We don't take on the devil in that sense. We hide behind Jesus. And the meanest thing I can do to the devil is not bind him and all that kind of stuff. Is just calmly say, you're a liar, and I believe Jesus. You're a fat liar. I don't believe a thing you say. I don't believe the impressions that come to me. I don't believe the despair and the moods and the discouragement. I don't believe any of it. I believe Jesus. He said he'd never leave me. He'd never forsake me. He'd never fail me. That's the meanest thing I can do to the devil. Faith is what slays him. Not barking at him. We have a foe. We have human frailties. The frailties that we have, just as humans, and we're fallen. We are not that bright. <laughs> I'd say that. Of course, you know, I'm fine, but we have poor judgment. We're short sighted. We don't understand a lot of things. We think we do, but we don't. We don't have very much patience. We're always thinking that God needs to hurry up. We have no idea of the vast, well, you can't grasp it, what God 
sees and knows and the strings that he's pulling and the hearts he's moving on. He says he rules over the nations and he nullifies the plans of the people. That's our God. And we're down here telling him, man, you got to get on the stick here. He knows. He understands those frailties, those tendencies. He understands that. He's kind to us, long-suffering, merciful. But he knows our frailties. He knows the, what we don't know. And then finally, we have a free will. It is to my free will. It's to my power to choose that Satan appeals. Why tempt me? <coughs> Excuse me. Why tempt me? Why torment me? Why try me, pester me, accuse me? If I don't have any power to process what he's saying to me and make a choice. I have a free will. Those three avenues a foe, our frailties, and our free will are the things that we have to be on guard regarding. Hold fast, continue, stay true. Then finally, we are assured of our advocates. What's for us? Yes, be alert for adversaries. Have to be. Have to have our eyes wide open. But what do we have for us? We have advocates. One, of course, not necessarily in order, is Jesus himself. We have an advocate, John said, with the Father. A defense attorney. Someone who speaks on our behalf. Jesus prays for us, and the, the, the original languages are very clear. He prays for me by name and individually. What a thought. The Lord Jesus himself talks to the Father on our behalf. And he, he says, Father, I see Satan is working a strategy against Rachel, against Eric Barlow. Father, Mark Weber, I know he's facing the test. I pray for him. What an unspeakable privilege. And who is Jesus? We know himself. God. Who's he talking to? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, who spoke this world into existence. He never even got out of his chair. And he just said, let it be. How could we flop? How could we be failed? 
How could we be overcome? Can't, unless we cooperate. But if we do what Barnabas exhorted them, stick, stick to God. Stay true. We can't be touched at the deepest point in our heart. God keeps us. We are, Peter said, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. I'm not talking about eternal security here that no matter what you do, you're fine. Kept through faith. Whose faith? Mine. God doesn't believe for me. I believe. Aided by Him. So Jesus prays for us. God, His power, is for us. Then, the Holy Spirit sent into this world to be the word paraclete or parakletos. It's someone who comes alongside to help. I have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach to every creature. And he said, lo, I am with you always. I have specifically, can I tell you how many times I've thought of this, specifically. I've been walking up to a house where I know there's trouble and I've been called to you know, come over and pray or whatever the case. Or walking down the corridor of a hospital before you get to a room where they've gotten the worst diagnosis they could get. What do you do? Well, all of us can say, Jesus, you're with me. Go with me into that room. And I have every every foundation for believing he's there we have advocates the father the son and the spirit and then we also have fellow saints the fellowship of the saints we are to pray for one another bear one another's burdens encourage one another Spare each other. Protect each other. We have all of that going for us. And all of that, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the saints, are greater, greater than our foe, our frailties, and our free will. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So, may we today, with full purpose, with all of our hearts, stay true to the Lord. Continue with the Lord. And briefly, how do we do that? Are there some activities, I guess you'd say, that Aid us, absolutely. Scripture reading. I don't care what's going on. Read your Bible. Spend time in prayer every day. Now, I'm not saying 
that you know you miss a day and you know the flames are starting to lick at your feet i don't mean that but nothing's more important than my soul nothing read john wesley founder of the mathis read and pray daily else he said you'll be a trifler all your life you'll mount to nothing spiritually read and pray spend time with god read his word and don't just read some little devotioners will helpful are helpful but read let's put it this way read god's word not other people's words about what God's Word says. Just read God's Word. He's fairly good at making himself clear. Read the Bible. Become people of the book. Pray. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Never forget. That's the number one thing. That's the priority. Eternity. That's how we practically keep our way continuing with the Lord. Let's bow our heads. And before Dan dismisses us with prayer, I want us to just take a few moments of silence and I want us to pray and let the Lord show us any place we can Stiffen up our spines, <clears throat> toughen up, and resolve. I'm going to go through with God. I'm walking with God by His grace. Before I close in prayer this morning, keep your heads bowed. I have one request to add to what Pastor Dan talked about. is just to ask God for His grace going into this new year on whatever it is He laid upon your heart this morning. So please just take a moment, visit with the Lord, and then I'll close. This morning, I want to read a doxology out of the book of Jude to close. In rhythm with what Pastor Dan spoke about this morning, it says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his righteous presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be the glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forever. Amen. He is able to keep you if you're willing to be kept. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the truth of scripture and a pastor who's willing to share it. Even the tougher spots of the walk of the word is we need to hear, Lord. So I pray this morning as we often do in this church, we walk by your grace, Lord. Your enabling grace is what gives us the ability to, to live out the scripture, to hear echoed, echoed into our hearts the words of Barnabas to the church so long ago. May those echo to us today. Stay true.
stay strong, hold tight, and keep the faith. May we be a church that finds that truth in your word and lives it out by your grace to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.